as you can see here, we, we didn't take the traditional, like, first look where, like, you turn around and then, bam, there's your bride and, like, the guy starts crying and it's a whole thing. We want to do, like, a cute, new, trendy, it's called a first touch. And so what you do is I stand on one side of the wall and, and Hannah stands on the other side and we just hold hands. And Hannah, a couple weeks ago, got this uh, cute book. It's called our vows book. And so what you do in it is you write out your vows, and then you share your personal vows uh, to your spouse. And so that's what we did there. And I had one job. Really, I had two jobs, but, like, I had one really important job. It was don't forget your vow book. Don't forget your vow book. And as you can look very detailed in this photo here, Hannah is currently in the middle of reading her vows. And as you can see, I have one hand holding her hand, and I have the other hand in my pocket. And it kind of looks like I'm just thinking about life. And, like, I don't have a vow book in my hand because I forgot my vow book. And so I had to send my best man out to our hotel about 10 minutes away. And I found out that I forgot it about 15 minutes ago. So the math isn't checking out. So, like, I'm currently contemplating my new vows in my head. And so hoping everything goes well. And right as Hannah gets towards the end, I just see this hand stick out from the gate. And it's my vow book. And as you can see, the gate is right there. So all Hannah has to do is just look up and notice I forgot my vow book. And uh, it worked out perfect. And uh, I kind of realized it was impossible for my vow book to get there. And I had to trust that my groomsman was going to haul. He was going to break a few laws speeding. But I had to trust that he was going to come through with that vow book. And so today, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to trust God with the impossible. Now, some of you guys are here today, and you're, you're trusting God with the impossible. Maybe it's something like, you know, your football team making it to the Super Bowl. Or maybe it's something like, man, my bills are way more than I'm, what I'm making throughout the week, and so you're trusting God with your finances. Or maybe you just got a, a bad result from a, a scan and shows cancerous, and you're trusting God with the absolute impossible. And so I hope you can learn something from this Bible study today, because we're actually going to talk about one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And since hurricane season is upon us, it's only fitting that we talk about Noah's Ark. And so today's uh, message is going to be named Restart, because we're going to see how God uh, gives humanity this restart that we desperately need, but we do definitely don't deserve it. And so if you have your Bible says, get your Bibles out. We're going to go into our Bible say, get your Bibles out, turn your Bibles on. We're going to open it to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 6. Now, a lot of you guys have, have heard some sort of version of, of Noah's Ark. Uh, you hear all the, the animals coming to the Ark and uh, Noah's building this big old boat and then comes like a rain shower and then God kind of does like a rainbow at the end. It's like this really happy story. And like we put it in all of like the little toddler's books and they get to read it in Sunday school. It's just a really happy story. But when you actually read this story of Noah's Ark and what happened, this is an intense story. Like this isn't like a kid-friendly book. This is PG-13. So before we start with Noah and the, and the great flood, it's important to get the context of what's going on. So we're actually going to start... In Genesis chapter 6, to get a little background of what's actually happening and what led up to the flood. So let's read together Genesis chapter 6. 
and it says, when the human beings began to increase, uh, when the human beings began to increase in number on earth, and daughters were born to them, uh, were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward were the sons, uh, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of thoughts of the human heart was evil all of the time. Here's what it says in verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Pretty powerful words from the Lord. Let's pray together, guys. Lord, right now we need you. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so right now we're at the very beginning of Scripture. We're like page one of the Bible. We're like six clicks away on your Bible app. And so we just saw that God just created the earth. He created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve just sinned. And then uh, they have a child, Cain and Abel, and then Cain and Abel have a tussle. And then we see all this sin is already just being created in the first five chapters of the Bible. And then, pretty crazy, all, we see all of Noah's, or all of uh, Adam's descendants in chapter five. We see that they live like hundreds of years. I'm talking like two, three hundreds of years. You can check that out in chapter five. Pretty crazy. And so now we're at this part in scripture where like population is starting to increase. And as the population increases, we have absolute more and more sin. And so if you're taking notes, our first point today is that God grieves our sin. God grieves our sin. Listen to what it says in verse 5 and 6. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and that his heart was deeply troubled. In another version, it says that the Lord's heart was grieved. The Old Testament was written originally in the language of Hebrew, and the word for grieved in Hebrew describes what an abandoned wife feels if her husband leaves her. Imagine a young bride with anticipation and excitement because she's found the guy that makes her feel special and will love her the rest of her life just to find out that her husband leaves her at the altar. That's how our sin makes God feel. It's this hollow, this sick, this empty, this painful feeling. Grief is an important thing. It's very important. Some of you are in the room right now and 
You've either gone through grief or you're currently going through grief in your life right now. Man, but it's that feeling, do you grieve your sins? Do you grieve your sins the same way God grieves your sins? What would our life look like if we grieved our sins? If we had that hollow, that sick, that painful feeling when we sinned or when others sin in our lives. And so God is, is grieved because sin is making its way through human race like a disease. And Genesis, uh, Genesis 6, it says that the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so the Lord determined to stop that. He had enough of it. So sometimes we can grow up in church or we've been going to church for a while or maybe not too long at a time. And we can have this distorted view on who God is if we're not reading scripture and interpreting scripture properly. Because if all we know is that God is so loving and God is, and we can do whatever we want because God loves us, then we don't have a full and complete view of who God is. See, God is completely wiping out the earth because of the sinful people he created. I don't know about you guys, but does that sound too loving? He's wiping out the entire earth that he created, the people that he created. Think of it this way. What if someone you love is just getting destroyed by cancer? They just got cancer and, man, you take radical measures like chemotherapy, which is this very violent process to cleanse that person you love from cancer. And if you think about it, that's what God is doing right here in Genesis chapter 6. God is doing that with his creation. He's a just God seeking justice for the brokenness and the world. All right, so that's everything that took place before the flood, all right? God's ready to destroy all of mankind. He's wiping all of them out except one man and his family. And you guessed it. We're going to read about it in Genesis chapter uh, 6, verse 8. It says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah uh, had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you guys are in the process of selecting a, a name for a child, some of you guys might be. I personally recommend the name Ham. I think it's pretty neat. Um, maybe like the cool kids in school will call him Pork Chop or something like that. Um, so I highly recommend the name Ham. I think that's an awesome name. Maybe Hannah in the future. Ham, keep it on the list. All right, so these verses are so important. So if you're taking notes, uh, our second point is that God favors the obedient. God favors the obedient. Here's what I love about God, is that there wasn't anything special about Noah, but God does something amazing in Noah's life. It says in verse 9 that he was a righteous man and that he was blameless in his generation. Now, even though Noah was, he was a sinful man, he was born into sin, he was also faithful. He was also faithful, and that's why God chose him. He was still part of the same evil sin, and we learn a little bit about Noah in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is what's called the, the Hall of Faith. It's kind of like the Hall of Fame, like you have the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame. In the Bible, in Hebrews 11, we have the Hall of Faith, and it's a list of all these names. And God points out uh, Noah in Hebrews 11, chapter 7. It says, By faith, 
Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. You see, Noah was considered righteous because he responded to God's gift of salvation. That righteousness that Noah had was because of Noah's faith. That's the way we become righteous, is by accepting God's gift of salvation. That's how he became righteous. That's how I become righteous. That's how you guys become righteous. It's by accepting that offer of God's salvation. So later in chapter 6, God gives Noah specific dimensions of the ark and what he wants the ark to look like. And this is a photo of the ark in uh, Kentucky. And like it, as you can tell, it's huge. Um, and so... Uh, it was big enough to withstand a flood for all these years, and it took him over a hundred years to build this ark. Over a hundred years. Can you imagine what people are saying around town about Noah who's been building an ark for over a hundred years? That's like 500 feet. Can you imagine that trip to Home Depot after like the 70th year, and people are like, you're still building that ark? You still have faith in that? Clearly nothing's going to happen. Why are you still building a 500-foot ark? But the Lord promised Noah what's going to happen. And so in the end, Noah endured even when no one else came along. It was just him building that ark. And he's trying to warn people like, hey, there's going to be a flood coming. I recommend you help. recommend you get on the boat. But hey, he endured, and that's faith. And as God's selling the plan, uh, God's selling Noah his plan for the world, he tells Noah in verse 18, he says that I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And so in that verse, you can see this word called covenant. And covenant is used many times in the Bible. Uh, it's a chosen relationship or partnership where two parties make promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. Some of you guys are thinking, I've heard that word covenant. I just don't remember where I heard it from. The most common form of this is in a marriage, okay? So the husband and the wife choose to enter a formal relationship together. They make promises to each other to remain faithful to each other in sickness or in health. And then they work as partners to reach a common goal, which is to be more like Christ. And so that's why when you go to a wedding, you hear those being exchanged. You're establishing a covenant. But you guys want to know something crazy. It's not that Noah was put in the hall of faith because he just said yes initially. There are people in the Bible that said yes in the Bible. They've answered God's gift of salvation. But they weren't necessarily in the hall of faith. It's because Noah endured for 100 years. Man, how would our lives change if not only we said yes to what God called us to do, but we actually endured the life that he had for us? Some of us just think it's just an easy yes that we say, and we get excited, and that's great, and that's awesome, but, man, as you guys might realize, it does not get easier after that, does it? But that's where God is calling us to endure, and that counts as faith. 
Maybe it's you telling a friend about Jesus. Maybe that's you stepping out of your comfort zone and serving at church on Sundays. It's whenever you're in the middle of a storm and you don't see a way out, but you endure and believe that God will get you through it. That's faith. And so later in this chapter, God's pretty much like, okay, no, it's time to enter the ark, bring the animals in two by two of each kind, which makes sense because you've got to have a male and you've got to have a female animal for afterwards. But like the 10-year-old inside of me just comes out just a little bit when I read Noah's Ark. I don't know about you guys, but that's what happens to me. And so I just had a few questions as I'm jotting it down, like, who was in charge of determining who was the male and who was the female animal? That sounds like a tough job to do. And I know back then the pooper scooper wasn't invented, so like, who had to deal with that back then? Like, that sounds like a rough day on the Ark. And then my last question is, why would Noah bring cats on the ark? Why didn't he just let them get wiped away in the flood? We would have never seen them again. I don't, that's just my personal opinions. There might be some cat lovers out there, but I just don't think that they needed to be on the ark, but that's just me. But, you know, the Bible's filled with miracles, so I understand why the cats made it on there. But we see in chapter 17, verse 16, or chapter 7, verse 16, that the Lord shut them in. So the Lord closes the door of this ark, and then for 40 days came the flood. The Bible says that the fountains from above and below the earth were open. So pretty much they just got a ton of rain. You guys are probably thinking, well, I live in Florida. I get a ton of rain all the time. Like this is rain coming from the heavens. This is rains coming from the ground. There's an underground flooding, maybe some like tsunami in there. And then chapter 7 says that the waters covered the highest known mountain at the time. For 40 days that happened. That's over a month. I wonder what Noah was thinking while he was in that ark. Got to around day 35 and realized, man, I just don't think this is ever going to end. Maybe he was like, all right, God, it's been over a month. You promised me that you'd establish your covenant with me, but I don't see anything. I just see a ton of water still. I don't know if I'm ever going to make it out of the storm. I might be some of you guys here in the room. I know it's been me sometimes. All right, God, I've been battling with depression for two years. I just, you tell me there's going to be a way out, Lord, but I just haven't seen it. Or, Lord, it's been a few years. I'm still struggling with this addiction. I still can't break it, Lord. But some of you guys might be on day 39 and you have no idea. Day 40 is coming right around the corner. But it's a follow-through that determines your faith. God is a promise keeper. It says in the beginning of Genesis 8, it says, But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. Isn't that such a great hope? Such a powerful statement. God remembers you when you're going through that tough storm. God remembers you when you've been battling with that addiction. God remembers you when you've been battling with that cancer. God remembers you. And so eventually the flood's over, and the waters took about five months to go away, and Noah gets out of the boat. One of the first things he does is he builds up an altar. And the sacrifices, uh, every clean animal to the Lord, and as he's praising God and praying for the forgiveness of his sins, the Lord just smells the pleasing aroma. 
And as God smelled that aroma, he spoke to Noah in his heart and said, this is what he said. He said, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So sure, God's not going to flood the earth again. God's not going to flood the ark, but God does send a new Adam. He sends a better Adam. He sends a new and better Noah. God sends his son, Jesus. And so our last point for today is that God opens the door through Jesus. God opens the door through Jesus. Picture this. As Noah's standing on top of that ark, as he's watching the animals enter two by two, and as the animals are entering that ark, Noah knows that this is their only hope. Their only hope is making it through that door. And he has, there's like a sense of urgency to get through, to get everybody on that ark. John 10, 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. And you guys might be thinking today, Jarvis, how does all this apply to me? Yeah, Noah's Ark's a great story. I love it. I've heard it many times. How does it apply to me today? If you're not yet a believer in Christ, I'd love to encourage you. I want you to know that Jesus is opening the door to have a relationship with you right now. Right here in this room, Jesus is opening the door for you to have a relationship with him. God sees our wickedness today. God sees our sinful hearts. And every time we decide to do something against God's design for our lives, we sin against God. And we separate ourselves from God. But the good news is that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins. And it's because of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus that we're able to have a relationship with God. And all, God's want, all God wants for you is to receive him by faith. You said earlier, by faith, Noah was considered righteous. And so by faith, you are considered righteous because of what Jesus did on that cross for you. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, God is calling you to do that right now. And if you don't know how, we'd love to help you take that next step and what that looks like for you. I'll be down here at the end of the service. Staff on here that would love to help you. What about for those who are living a Christ-centered life already? Those who are already accepted Jesus into your life, what does all this mean for me? This short little thing can be forgotten so easily, but who are we inviting to the ark? Who are you inviting to the ark right now? Think of someone in your mind, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend or a coworker, but who are you inviting to the ark? Who are we inviting to know Jesus Christ? And the beautiful part about sharing the gospel is that it's not just uh, heaven only accepts one male, one female of, of every race and every nationality, but it's all who believe in Jesus. It's everybody. Man, who are we inviting to the ark?
I don't know about you guys, but sharing Jesus can be a very hard thing. It can be hard sharing with our coworkers. Maybe we don't want to ruin the relationship. Maybe we don't want to have that awkward conversation, or maybe they won't like us after, but, man, I know sometimes it seems impossible, doesn't it? It seems like there's no possible way to do that. That's when we have to trust God with the impossible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you. We know, God, sometimes it can feel impossible. But Lord, right now, I pray for this church, I pray for this congregation, Lord, that anybody who does not know you, God, right now, Jesus, may they just believe in the gospel that you died, that you rose again three days later. Lord, I pray for everybody here in Boca. I pray for South Florida, Lord, that we would be able to reach them with the gospel. Lord, that we'd be the hands and feet of the good news, Lord. So help us live it out, Lord. Help us to be bold. Help us to trust you, God, when it gets hard and we're in the middle of that storm. God, help us to rely on you. And Lord, we pray all that in your name. Amen.